Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most heinous, the most newsworthy, high-profile homicide cases in Maryland are examined and profiled. This season, season three, relationship murders, or husband, wife, boyfriend-girlfriend type murders are discussed and profiled. On this episode, the murder of 38-year-old Nancy Lee Riggins is profiled, and the unsolved homicide of 37-year-old transgender Tidy Dansbury is examined. Okay, first off, there's having an affair And then there's cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife. And then there's being downright point blank trifling. Some people just take things to a whole other level. Let's examine the relationship murder case of Nancy Lee Riggins. Nancy was born and raised in Newcastle, Pennsylvania before she moved to Maryland in 1981. She got married to Paul Stephen Riggins Jr. and the couple lived together in their home in Elk Ridge, Maryland. They raised their five-year-old daughter, but the marriage had problems and according to their friends and family, the married couple fought and argued constantly. Nancy, she was described by her friends and family as a kind woman who was devoted to her role as mother and wife and she worked at the giant food store in Burtonsville where she was a long-time, well-liked, and faithful employee. And she, and only she, saw the good in her husband when no one else did. Paul worked the night shift as a yard jockey at the Patasco Wastewater Treatment Plant in Baltimore City. Now, in 1992, the couple hired a 14-year-old babysitter to watch their daughter while they both worked. And yeah, I mean, you have cases where the husband eventually starts liking the nanny or he started liking the babysitter, but a 14-year-old child? Anyway, shortly after the girl turned 15, Paul starts having sex with her and they start a full-blown affair behind his wife's back with him having sex with her all throughout the house he shared with his wife and in the bed he shared with his wife, all under his wife's nose. He told the teenager that he was no longer having sex with his wife anymore and that they wasn't getting along no more, so it was cool. And they were just going through the motions of husband and wife just being together for their daughter. Um, The babysitter, she later told reporters for the Baltimore Sun that she loved Paul and Paul loved her. And he told her that Nancy was planning on leaving him anyway. She told the police that Paul wanted her to move in with him and help him take care of his house and his his daughter and that he would marry her and they would live happily ever after. The whole time, while his wife is busting her ass a giant, this teenage babysitter is meeting up with her husband at her home after hours and during the times when she wasn't even supposed to be babysitting. He brought the girl to his job. He introduced her to his co-workers as his daughter just in case anybody got suspicious. And he kept it moving with the trifleness. This secret illegal affair went on for three years 
1995, after the babysitter turned 18, she probably came to her senses and she started dating this other dude, which pissed Paul off. Bottom line, Paul was this, he was old, he was, you know, this old married dude, and the babysitter was some young girl and she probably realized that Paul was a damn pedophile and she really didn't want to have nothing to do with him anymore. But Paul couldn't leave this little girl alone and he couldn't live without her. You know, this teenager, she had all the control. So what neither of them planned on is his wife finding out. And, and on June the 30th, 1996 when Nancy found out that her husband had not only been cheating on her but he had been cheating on her with their teenage babysitter trust me she no doubt went the fuck off she confronted Paul about what he knew what what she knew to be true and of course he denied everything then Nancy called the babysitter to find out just what the fuck was going on Nancy was probably like, oh, Paul told me about y'all little fling. And the babysitter, she fed right into it and told her, oh yeah, it only happened like one time. And even that was like a couple months back. Nobody believed that. And out of guilt for lying to her, the babysitter later called Nancy back and admitted to her that Paul had been having sex with her for over four years now. I'm sure Nancy went off, flipped out, and she told the babysitter that she planned on telling her mother about what she was doing and she was going to the police about what she knew. She let it be known that Paul was, what he was doing was 100% illegal. It was a felony and hell yeah, she was out. She was done. She was planning on getting a divorce. And after that conversation, the babysitter freaked out and she called Paul. She picked that phone up, she called Paul, and she was like, look, your wife is going to tell my mom what we were doing, and you're going to get in trouble. And Paul told her to meet him at his job later on that night around 10 p.m. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. That's what he told her when they hooked up. Now, meanwhile, his wife, Nancy, was home losing it. She called up her girlfriends. She was hurt, and she told her that she found out that Paul was having an affair with their babysitter, and she was done. Fuck that. She was going to a lawyer. She was getting a lawyer. She was getting a divorce. She was out of there. She said she was completely done. She threatened to tell the police about what she knew. She was going off. So at work, Paul had no shame when he asked him, what, he was going around asking people, you know, what would be the best way to get rid of a person? You know, how can I get rid of somebody I don't want anymore? And then he started being bold enough to be like, you know, I'm trying to get rid of my wife, Nancy, in particular. He called at least two of his friends and asked to borrow their guns to go shoot turkeys. Yeah. And neither one of them learned, neither one of them lent him his gun or any of any other type of weapon. So his friends told him, you know, not for me, you won't. You better get your gun from the pawn shop. So Paul was still stuck on this little teenager. And he told her flat out that, he just, he wanted to kill his wife. He wanted to get rid of her. He was telling the girl that he would shoot his wife or he would even strangle her to get rid of her. And he would put her body in the water with the waist where he raped at. And nobody would ever find her. He was telling people how easy it was to get rid of her. So on the night of July the 1st, 1996, 
Nancy called her brother-in-law, which was Paul's brother, and she was in tears. And she told him that she was leaving Paul because he was having an illegal pedophile affair with their teenage babysitter. And she, this had been going on for years, and she was claiming not only that, but, you know, the babysitter was claiming that Paul was in love with her. I mean, this was embarrassing. She tearfully told him that she was going to file for a divorce and report him to the police. After that, nobody heard nothing from her. So, the next day, which was July the 2nd, Paul called his brother, and out of the blue, he told him that now Nancy was missing. Now, Nancy supposedly just rolled out, leaving him with their five-year-old daughter. He waited a whole day before reporting her missing to the police on July the 3rd. Leaving her wedding ring behind and her car in the garage, Paul told Howard County Police that he came home from work from working a night shift around 6 a.m. in the morning, and the night before, he said he found his front door halfway open, and he said his daughter was sleeping in her bed all by herself, and his wife was nowhere to be found. He said he, then he took his daughter to daycare like normally. He said he came back home, he cleaned and vacuumed the inside of their minivan. Then he said he talked to his neighbor for a minute or two, telling him that Nancy had left him for good. He loaned the neighbor a power washer, and completely unconcerned about his missing wife, he said he went to sleep for the rest of the day and was just like, oh well. When he woke up, he said he called a friend over to watch his daughter so he can get to work. When Nancy didn't show up the next day, he said he decided to report her missing. He was like, he decided, you know, he waited to report her missing because he was under the impression that a person had to be missing or gone for a full 48 hours before you could report them actually missing. The police started a missing persons case and they started canvassing the area and searching the area to see if they could find any clues or anything. Now that his wife was quote-unquote missing and out of the picture, Paul conveniently proposed to his babysitter. She later told the detectives that Paul seemed happy and elated when they hooked up later. He was full of joy when he told her that his wife was missing. He even gave, his, gave her his wife's engagement ring to show her how serious he was. He told their babysitter that Nancy was never coming back because she herself had met some dude named Bob. He even told her that she left a note saying she was moving to Pennsylvania, leaving their daughter behind, and she wasn't ever coming back. Again, Paul begged the babysitter to move in with him as soon as possible so they could play house where she watched his daughter and help take care of the house now that his wife had left. Meanwhile, Nancy's friends and family went on a mission to find her. They were not going to give up. I mean, flyers with her photo on it were distributed throughout the neighborhood. A commercial billboard was leased on southbound Route 1, and the local and national news media both were, they brought, they wrote stories about her disappearance, but she was not found, and she did not come back. So the FBI was contacted, and investigators conducted seven searches for her, using canine dogs and heat-sensing equipment, but still, no sign of Nancy. Just a few hours after Nancy disappeared, or I should say, just a few weeks after she mysteriously vanished, 
called, they, he sold their minivan, and he started asking questions about how long you got to be missing before you could get somebody's life insurance policy, before insurance company considered that the person was dead and not coming back. The investigators, they started digging more and more, and when Paul admitted to them that he had been having problems in their marriage for years, and that, yeah, he was having an affair, but he was like, his wife knew about the affair, but they were planning on working things out. When the investigators learned from Nancy's friends and Paul's brother, who he had been having an affair with, they went to the babysitter for answers. And once they learned from her that Nancy knew about the affair and was planning on getting a divorce and going to the police with what she knew, combined with the fact that Nancy still had not returned home, the detectives pushed the case from a missing persons case to a possible homicide case. They talked more to the babysitter who had no problem telling them everything she knew. She told them about when she first started having sex with Paul. She was only 15 years old. She told them all about his plans to move her in their house and how she had been their babysitter for years. She told them about how his wife found out about their affair and had, had she had threatened to go to the police. She even told them about how Paul had planned to marry her and they pl had planned a honeymoon in Florida with palm trees and this and all that, but he was going to tell the police that he was going to Florida to help look for his missing wife. She told the investigators that numerous times Paul told her that he would get rid of his wife. At one point, she even wore a wire to help try to trap him into admitting that he killed his wife. But because Paul eventually admitted to having a sexual relationship with a minor on February the 4th 1997 the state brought felony charges of sexual child abuse against him and he was detained at the Howard County Detention Center. Paul did plead guilty to having sex with the girl and he got an 18-month prison sentence with five years of supervised probation. He was released after serving only 11 months of that sentence though. And after he, after Paul was arrested for abusing his babysitter, she finally did cut off all contact with him on February the 17th, 1997. Now, four years after Nancy went missing, detectives believes that Nancy was no longer alive. And even though they didn't have her body, they felt like they had enough evidence now to charge Paul with her murder. And even though all of the evidence was circumstantial, they still felt like, look, they won't take a chance and just see how far this was going to go. So on September the 21st, 2000, Paul was rearrested and charged with the first degree murder of his wife. When Paul's trial started, he made history in Howard County by becoming the first trial in the county's history where there was no body, no weapon, no physical evidence, no cake, no cause of death, just all circumstantial evidence. This is what they based their case on. With the testimony of the babysitter testifying against Paul, as well as his brother and former friends testifying against him, after a trial that lasted two weeks, on July the 20th, 2001, Paul, now 44 years old, was convicted of first degree murder. The prosecutor decided not to try to go for like a life sentence without the possibility for parole sentence because 
out of respect for Nancy's family, they felt that maybe, just maybe one day, Paul would have some type of empathy, confess to what he did, and let Nancy's family know at least where he put her body. So on November the 29th, 2001, Paul was sentenced to life with the possibility for parole after serving 15 years. So six years later, in 2007, Paul finally had a change of heart and came to the conclusion that if he was ever going to get out of prison, he better cooperate and give the investigators and Nancy's family what they wanted. And he decided to stop playing the, oh, I'm innocent act. And he wanted to show them what he did and where he buried her body. So after he was released from prison for a minute, he finally led authorities to a wooded area in Hanover and Arundel County where what was left of Nancy's remains were found. The remains had no skull and no hands, but the authorities were able to positively identify the remains at that as that of missing Nancy Riggins. When Nancy's family was made aware that her remains had finally been located, they were finally able to put her to rest and bury all the rumors about what happened to her. Her friends had planted a cherry tree in her honor, and this is where they decided to show their respects. This case was profiled on investigation discoveries Forbidden, Dying for Love, Sex and a Married Man, and this case was also profiled on Oxygen's In Cold Blood series. Whew. Now, the reason why this homicide was notorious in Maryland was a couple reasons. First off, um, as I stated before, this was Howard County's first uh, nobody case. Most of the times when a case goes to court or goes to trial, there's some type of evidence. I mean, a body, something that, you know, the prosecution and the defense can argue over some type of evidence. But in this case, there was nobody. It was all circumstantial. They just assumed or believed that Nancy was not coming back because she would never leave her daughter. Um, they basically were not going to wait anymore to try to prosecute him. He had too much evidence. I mean, he's going around screwing the freaking babysitter. I mean, like I said, I, I hear about, you know, people cheating, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. But the babysitter? So you're going to just do two felonies or you're going to commit two crimes at one time. A 14-year-old babysitter. I can't even imagine. That's trifling as hell. Honestly, really? Really? And, you know... She's confused thinking that they're in love. And I'm like, you screwing around with him all the way up until you're 18 and you're thinking that you're in love? Really? But you're smiling in his wife's face at the same time? You know, ugh. I mean, I, I, I guess, like they said, you know, she might have been uh, brainwashed by him or whatever. But at least she did do the right thing and come clean to the police and tell them exactly what was going on. Um, one day he'll be paroled. One day he'll be paroled, you know, because he did not receive a sentence that, you know, not he did not receive life without the possibility for parole. One day he'll get out. Simply put, you know, he told, it was reported that he did tell 
uh, their daughter that his mother, that her mother abandoned her. So I can't imagine what, um, you know, the five-year-old daughter, what she grew up with, wondering what happened to her mother. I'm, I'm quite sure she knows the truth, but that had to have been devastating for her at that age. You know, um, I'm not blaming a uh, babysitter at all because she was a minor and she was um, brainwashed or influenced by an older pedophile. But wow, that's it's just it's just all around an ugly case. I feel sorry for her family, Nancy's family. I mean, like I said in the, in the beginning of this segment, there's cheating, and then there's just being trifling. And I'm sorry, he was just trifling. It was just an all around uh, ugly, messed up case. Um. And like I said, I, I feel for Nancy's family. I really do. I've never written to Paul because to be honest, I'm not I'm not necessarily intrigued by his crime. You know, everybody assumed that because he worked at Papso, the water race plant, that her body was some kind of way in there where you know left at his job somewhere and that it would never be found. Kind of find out she was just in a wooded area in Hanover. You know, the whole time. Um, he proclaimed his innocence for so long. The only reason why he came clean and eventually confessed is because one day he hopes to get out one day. And this is these are the things that you have to do sometimes to get paroled. But again, I, I feel for her family. I feel for her family. Um, I don't believe he should ever be released. Um, and it's just an all-out sad case. Now, for this season, season three, each unsolved homicide will profile a victim who was transgender. While conducting my research on unsolved homicide victims in Maryland, I was completely shocked, completely surprised, completely, like jaw to the ground by the number of victims who were transgender and where almost nothing was done. And what I mean by nothing was done, I mean no questioning of witnesses, no questioning of family members, no talking to friends, no DNA testing, nothing was done. Many of the family members even had to find out how their loved one died by seeing it on the news. Just because there was no communication with them, no effort to come to to locate them, no effort to find them, nothing. I and mean, people just assumed, oh, because this person was transgender, that they was tricking, they was out here living a double life, they was out here, you know, lying to people. Even if any of that was true, who made you judge and jury? Like honestly, who made you judge and jury? And Every single victim deserves justice. I forgot you were so perfect. You know, every member of their victim's family deserves justice and they deserve answers. So for this season, season three, the spotlight on all of the unsolved homicides that are profiled on this podcast, the victims were transgender. On this episode, the unsolved shooting murder of 37-year-old Tidy Dansbury is examined. On November 26, 2018, 
shots rang out in the 1900 block of Landville Street in West Baltimore a little after 5 p.m. and 37-year-old Tidy Dansbury was shot several times. She was rushed to Maryland shock trauma in critical and grave condition, but unfortunately, she died two days later on November 28th. Our hearts are heavy and even more so at a time when violence in our community is at an all-time high with black trans women being targeted specifically. That's what a member of the Black Trans Alliance community commented to the Baltimore Sun. Two days after Tidy died, a vigil was held in Tidy's honor to celebrate her life, to mourn her death, and to offer a space for her friends and family and the community to grieve and to come together and to heal. A trans advocate who was at the vigil commented to reporters, This is a tragedy beyond words or understanding. Our community is heartbroken. As we enter this holiday season, and so many of us have struggles with our families of origin, this especially cuts deep because our community is our family, our chosen family. We mourn along with her loved ones. In this case, again, the police have absolutely no leads, no clues, nothing whatsoever in this unsolved homicide. And because of that, they are offering a $4,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest or conviction in this cold case. So if you have any information on who murdered Tidy Dansbury, please give Cold Case Homicide Detectives a call at 410-396-2100 or you can call them, call Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-756-8287. You can either offer a tip online at metrocrimestoppers.org. Once again, those numbers are the cold case detectives. Trust me, I know them. It's at on Fair Street, but the numbers is 410-396-2100, or you can call Metro Crime Stoppers at 1-866-7-LOCKUP, or that number is 1-866-756-2587. You can offer a tip online at Metro Crime Stoppers with an S.org. Somebody has to know something. I mean, I know they do. And you can remain anonymous, people. Come on, do the right thing. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine tingling, hair raising, bizarre episodes of true crime homicides in Maryland. Also, please be sure to check out all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast entitled Maryland's Most Notorious Murders 1990-2008, through Maryland's Unsolved Homicides Volume 1, and the upcoming release Maryland's Most Notorious Murders 2009-2020. through All of these books, as well as my other True Life books, are all available on Amazon.com. Be sure to tune in next week 
where another high-profile homicide will be profiled and examined on Maryland's most notorious murders. This has been a real-life production.